Hey, everybody, you are listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors and entrepreneurs and artists and leaders about their pluck ups, their mistakes and wrong turns and more difficult, challenging seasons, but also how they moved on and up and inspired others to build lives of purpose and passion and impact. I'm your host, Liz Bohannon. Okay, I'm wondering if anybody out there listening to this podcast has ever had this experience that there's something that they hoped for and they dreamed for and then they got it. And then after they got it, they felt this like kind of surprising and unsettling sense that like something is still missing. That is what happened to our next guest, Megan Tamty. She's the CEO of Evereve, a contemporary women's fashion brand. They have retail stores all across the country. Prior to starting Evereve in 2004, Megan was a third grade teacher turned stay-at-home mom. And here's the thing. Megan loved her kids. She loved being a mom. That was her whole dream and what she wanted to do and be. And she loved it, but there was also this other part of her, this other dream that she had in her heart that needed to be nurtured and brought to life. And one of the things that I love most about Megan's story is that her moment of like, whoa, come to Jesus, but kicking inspiration. There was the before and then there was the after. It happened in the midst of the most incredibly average moment. (laughs) A situation, a scenario that I promise nearly every single one of us has experienced. And I love that. I love average, you guys. I also love that Megan held on to her dream for seven years. And then she finally turned her dreaming into doing and built something truly incredible. She's also just good people, you guys. She's just, I've met Megan. We spoke at an event, I think it was last year. I think that's how we met. And she has just been such a dear mentor and friend and kind soul. You know, so support businesses with people behind them that have kind souls. Can we do that? I love it. All right, without further ado, Megan Tampty. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the Plucking Up podcast. I am so excited to chat with you and reconnect with you. I know. I love love talking to you, Liz. This is going to be fun. So give our listeners who might not be familiar with you just quick, high level, who are you today? Two or three sentences. I am Megan Tampty. I'm the co-founder, co-CEO of EverEve which is a contemporary women's clothing brand based here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And um, I lead every with my husband and I have two adult children and I'm a relatively new empty nester. So that's been really fun. Yeah. So let's go back before you were Megan, the mom and the founder of this wildly successful retail company and leader and podcaster and all of those things. Will you take us back as far as you're willing to take us back to kind of telling us about who are you? Who were you growing up? What was your childhood experience? What were some of those earliest memories that you have kind of forming who you are and who you would become? Yeah, I think of who I was. I think I was at the 
the rawest form of who I was when I was in fifth grade. Hmm. And I think about what I was really good at and what I love to do. And I, I love fifth grade because I think it's a moment before, while you're kind of developing as a child, but you're not like tainted yet by, you know, friends or those teenage years. And I was the girl that was creative, was always thinking about businesses I could create. Hmm. I was a creative writer and I would win um, creative writing awards. So I hmm. like to dream and write stories. I loved clothing. I was from the era of guest jeans. I don't know if you are too young probably to know about guest <laughs> no, jeans no, and I the spray clothing, but uh-huh. I definitely was becoming very interested in fashion and clothing and had my eye on that world a lot. And I also was just a lover of children. Hmm. I loved to babysit not only because I wanted to make some money, but also because I just loved kids. I loved nurturing kids. And I I dreamed about being a mom. I love babies and kids. So I love babysitting after school. But that, yeah, that's a good insight into who I was when I was in fifth grade. Okay. So this is so interesting because we actually met about a year ago when we spoke at a similar event and we were kind of sharing our stories and kind of our backgrounds and our passions and how we became who we are. And I very distinctly remember you sharing this advice with the community that we were speaking with about going back to your childhood and going back to kind of, you know, your fifth grade self and really like looking at what they were interested in, what brought them to life as kind of like a guiding star. And after hearing you talk about yourself as a fifth grader, it's very obvious, right? Like what the connection is. There's so many like you were creative, you loved clothes, you loved like, you know, nurturing, all of these things. Obviously, that is hindsight, right? Like, you know who you are now and you can look back at your fifth grade self and see those things really clearly. Tell us a little bit about the journey between being your true self in fifth grade And then getting to a moment in your life where you would confidently say like, yes, I'm living in to my purpose. I'm kind of operating in my sweet spot. Tell us about that journey. Take us along that path. Like how I got there? How you got there. Yeah, I think after that fifth grade self, I mean, life kind of gets a hold of you. Different influences come in. I was raised by teachers. My dad was a principal. My mom was a teacher. So I thought I would be a teacher. And I went to college and pursued starting a family, became a mom and loved that because, as you know, I was very um, in love with children and babies and nurturing and what really wanted to be a mom. And I hit a crossroads. Probably I was at the it was a new mom, two young kids. I, I hit a funk in my mm. life where I really had to do a lot of reflecting back on um who I was <laughs> because I was trying to figure out who I was. I, yeah. I I felt I really just did not feel like my fully developed authentic self. And that mm. was after I had two kids and had this dream of every v- I, in my heart. Well, let's, can I pause yeah. you here? Because yeah. I want to camp out here for a little bit because yeah. my guess is that we have a lot of listeners who would really resonate with the season of life that you just talked about. Yes. So you're 
early into motherhood, mm-hmm. you're loving it. Like I'm there loving is, it. It was my dream. It's my dream. It was your dream. Right? It was yep. your dream. So this isn't a situation where it's like I had kids and I hated <laughs> them and it's, you know, it sucked. It's like, okay, I've dreamed my whole life about this thing. I'm doing it. I find deep meaning mm-hmm. in it. I'm enjoying it. Right. And I'm not feeling like the fullest version of who I am. Yeah, that's exactly where I was. And here's how I knew I was in that place. Yeah, it was a strange place to be because I was so deeply fulfilled and so Mm. grateful and so in love with my family and my children and just so grateful. But at the same time, there was this emptiness and this peace that was missing And I knew that because a couple things happened. Number one, I was struggling with anxiety. It was sleeping, struggling Mm. with sleeping at night, which was new for me. I had never had issues sleeping at night and I had insomnia. I started to Mm. develop insomnia where I would just toss and turn and just for many, many, probably two years, just did not sleep very well. And that was so strange and so unusual. I would often cry and not know what was going on. (laughs) Like my husband would come home from work and sometimes I would just start crying. He'd be like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know, just something's wrong. And I also was watching a ton of reality television at the time, which I knew did not feel good. Like I was Mm. putting my kids to bed and then plopping in front of the couch 7 p.m. at night and watching reality TV till probably 10 o'clock. And I knew that had developed that pattern and I didn't like it. It just didn't feel good. Okay. So those were some of the things that like some of the rumblings that I had. Yeah. That just were like, like, so one, your, your body was telling yeah, you something. My body like your was physical tell- yeah. body was telling you something. Yeah. You were having these emotions that felt, I'm not going to say irrational, but they felt disconnected from maybe yep. like in, in nameable intellectual cause. And then you were developing patterns that you could look at and honestly say, I don't think my best self is watching reality yeah, television three hours that. a night, yeah. seven nights a week. Yeah. So did you struggle at all? This story resonates. I know it's going to resonate with so many of our listeners. I hear it a lot in our fellows community, in mm-hmm. the Seiko fellows community, women that really struggle with this tension of being deeply fulfilled as moms and as caregivers, and then also feeling this kind of restlessness. And I'm wondering, did you feel guilt or shame at all about like, I should be happy. I should be totally fulfilled because this is my dream and I love my kids. Did you feel any extra pressure on like, I'm feeling this way and then I'm mad or frustrated at myself for feeling this way? I don't know. I didn't feel guilty about that for feeling that way. I think I've struggled with more trying to think through if I did make what I had learned, there was a dream in my heart that needed to come out. Mm. I struggled more with the reality of, okay, guilt or shame. Like if I make this dream come true, is it going to cost my family? Like that was more of the struggle was more of like, if I do this, am I going to harm or hurt or damage my family? Like that was the struggle that I think I experienced once I got to the point where I realized, okay, like what I'm wrestling with here is this dream that's alive in me that needs to be born. Um, Okay. So it was almost like a future feeling yeah, or yeah, fear like, of yeah, guilt. Once I got to that point of like, oh, I think this this thing that's rumbling is this Everive, this 
brand that I created and yeah. that I need to do it. And that is where I struggled with the tension of like it harming this family. Okay. We're going to come back to that because yeah. I think that is also a super applicable struggle that's really going to resonate. But let's go back to Megan's watching a lot of Real Housewives <laughs> and she's crying all the time and she's not sleeping well. It's a okay, very and so beautiful Mike's, picture. <laughs> Mike's coming home and you're just breaking down and he's like, what's wrong? And you're like, I don't know. Yep. Can you walk us through when did that change? When did it go from this really honest moment of I'm looking at my life and it, it seems like some key pillars are not where they need to be and I'm not in a healthy place? Um, when did that shift to being able to acknowledge what that was and what was causing yeah. that in you? Well, surprisingly, I had a very epic moment. It's so cheesy that it's Give it to awesome. me. I love um, some I cheese. I was watching the second um, episode of American Idol, season okay, two, yes. <laughs> with Ruben Stutter and okay. Clay Aiken. But many people remember where they were that night. And I was on the couch watching that, like living to watch that night. Like I had yeah. planned all week. This is going to be my night. Kids bed, 630. You know, don't talk to me, kids. Don't one cry. Don't one need anything. Mama's on the couch. And um, it was this really epic moment. And I think part of it was, you know, they were living their dreams and mm. there was music involved and music always really moves me. I'm very moved by dramatic music. And there was a moment when... Um, I think it was Ruben one and the confetti started to fall and the lights were on and he sang a song about dreams coming true. And I just remember like seeing my, like I looked at myself, like I had this moment where I was like viewing myself on the couch. And I just remember telling myself, you are sitting here watching other people's dreams come true. And wow. you are just a spectator to other dreams. Whoa. You have a dream in your heart and you're just here watching other people's dreams come true. Wow. Yeah. So at that moment, I'm so proud of myself because I got up and turned the TV off and stopped watching TV for probably 10 years. Did not turn the TV on again. And I equate that now to like, that'd be like someone going cold turkey on Instagram, right? Yeah. Like that's the oh, modern, yeah. you it's know, real. Like, real. There's a real physiological addiction that can happen yeah. with media, with technology, yeah. literally in this, in a really similar way to more traditional kind of Totally. Like I often think about abuse. that. I'm like, you know, because I also think that I have another dream in me that every visit my only dream, but oftentimes I'm like, would you have the discipline mm. to turn off Instagram like you did with the TV, you know, 20 years yeah. ago? So, but it was very epic like that. Like I quit yeah. TV cold turkey and my husband was so sweet. I think he was noticing like, oh yeah, that's really attractive. Like on the couch every night, you know, <laughs> he, he didn't, he was, he's never like mean to me, but I'm sure he was thinking like, oh, what's going on with this lady I married? But he was really sweet. He was very interested in Ever Eve and all my dreams and we talked about it and it'd been very real part of our conversation. And he just really said, you need to write all those dreams on paper. Mm. And so I replaced that TV watching time, the consuming time with creating. Oh, and yeah. so from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock at night, I started writing and pouring out all the year. There are probably seven years of dreaming wow. that I had in my head that I wasn't getting out on paper for this brand. And so I replaced that TV watching time with just 
pouring out my dreams onto paper time um, oh in that gosh. evening hours. I love like, it's not like you had this moment and then it was like, and now there's 28 hours in a day. Right. You gave something up. Like that was time right. that already existed that you could look at and authentically say, like, I'm not making the best use of that right. time right. and I'm just going to reclaim it. I'm going to reframe it. I'm going to reclaim it. it, you know, and just like how empowering that is and how so many of us, myself included, the wasted time. And I'm not bashing like I de-stress with Netflix, too. Like, I think there's a time and a place for it. Right. But man, right. if we got for real about where our energy goes, I just recently removed social media from my phone. I have to be on social media for my business, right. you know, same but as you, you. Moved it from your phone, but yeah. getting to a place where I'm like, if it's work, it's work and I'm going to schedule it in and I'm going right. to sit down at a desk because I recognizing how consuming much of my life was oh. just disappearing. Yeah. I'm like, it where just did that disappear. go? You're just not creating. You're consuming. And the consuming versus creating it is, is so important. So good. And there are times, I mean, I love this. My husband and I talk about it. There are times when consuming is okay. Right. Yeah. Like, because you just need to relax or you need to, you're in a phase of life where you need to like explore and research. And, but then there's times, and I think for me, it's a lot about just listening to myself and knowing what phase I'm in. Yeah. And is it time to take action? Is my body letting me know something's wrong? <laughs> so yeah. I, I do think that, you know, we can go in different phases, but yeah, totally. for me, my body was letting me know, like you are in a, you are about to give birth to a creation, like something you need yeah. to create. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And evaluating what is consuming might be okay. Right. But ask yourself the question of like, you can honestly ask yourself, what is this current consumption doing to me? If it's purposeful, if it's research, if it's rest, you should be coming out on the other side of that consumption being like, I feel energized. I feel right. equipped. I have this new information. I'm feeling like it's sparking new ideas in me. It's helping me feel rested or rejuvenated when we consume and consume and consume. And then we're like, what is this doing to me? And you're like, oh, it's making me feel super anxious. And now I'm yeah. really bummed that I don't know where all that time went. And I'm feeling really distracted and hopeless and like overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like that might be a key. That you this, might be that, a creation phase. You might need yeah, to move. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone too far. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's so good. So you, wow, you really went, you went cold turkey. I did go cold turkey. And you started turkey. dedicating yeah. all and this it, time. I'm very proud of that. That's probably one of the things that I'm almost envious of that part of myself. Mm. Because again, what, this is probably now, I don't know, 20 years later, I'm like, ooh, what could I achieve now? Yeah. If I would have the discipline to do that. So sometimes I do think about that. Totally. You know? And I don't know, you know, personalities are different, but I've learned about myself that I actually am better in extremes than I am moderating. So yeah. like I just recently, this was like several months ago, did like a no sugar 30 yeah. days with a colleague of mine who was like, I'm doing this. And I was like, oh. <gasps> None at all. And like, let me be very honest. I eat sugar. Yeah. Like, I am not <laughs> like, I like it. I eat it. But like the intensity of like nothing oh, for 30 intense. days felt like really, I don't know. So I was just like, me too. I didn't even think about it. And I was like, me too. And then we did this thing that I have another friend who made, oh, I think she made up the concept of moneyvation. Yeah. So we had this thing where if one of us broke the fast, we had to Venmo the other person 10 bucks. Oh, that is moneyvation. So like, <laughs> okay, that's cute. Oh, that's yeah, fun. So it was good. So it was good. But the point being a few days into no sugar, 
I found that for myself, it was easier to take something completely off the table and not even entertain it than it was for me to exercise restraint and moderation to say like, no, you're just going to have the one cookie instead of like the six. Yeah, Just saying I'm actually going to eat zero cookies was actually kind of it was better for me yeah. to just like remove it yep. completely. Yep. And so I think kind of knowing ourselves and experimenting, like I haven't always known that about myself, but like knowing how we interact with discipline and with decision-making and how we can't control our external environment completely. There are a lot of things that are out of our control, but for the things that are more within our control, like just like knowing, you know, what works right. well for you and right. kind of putting yourself in that. Totally. So was it intimidating when you started like, like when you're like, I wrote down my dreams. Did, was it like free form? Did you feel it like was you had form? It was literally um, my husband, my sweet husband, just was like, keep going. I know poor guy. He's like, I know there's a lot in there. <laughs> just maybe you need another night of it, honey. Just keep it out. You know, <laughs> Um, so so no, it was freeform. And I do remember one night I looked at him and I was like, even like the really crazy ones, like the ones that would never happen, like really, like he was so sweet. And I think this is so important. He was like, yes, even the crazy ones or the ones you think would never be possible. Just write them all down. So it was a pure throw up of dreams, (laughs) a pure like, this is what I would do if money weren't an issue. You know, it was like pure dreams on a piece of paper. It sounds like you had like many, many weeks of, we call them in our community, a wow session. Yeah, I remember where you like do that. all you're allowed to do is just dream and then to wow it without asking how. Because I find that so often we're so quick. It's like we come up with a dream and then it's like, yeah, but how? How am I going to get that money? How am I going to have the expertise? Who's going to buy the thing from me? Who's going to join my idea? Whatever. I mean, we kill the idea so fast, but also what we've done is when we jump to that, we actually rob ourselves of the joy that comes from even just letting ourselves imagine, but what if? Right. I know it's crazy, but what if? Like, in that we need, you know this, like you need a stockpile of that dreaming what if magic to get you through the how phase. Right. Because the how phase is really hard. Right. Very hard. And so if you're not like just so full, if you haven't like <laughs> been a glutton on the like just letting yourself get jazzed because that's like the gasoline that you need and you go into it already empty because you're like, I didn't even give myself the time because I'm protecting myself. This is one I hear a lot of like, well, I don't want to get too excited. Yeah. Because people are so afraid of letting themselves down if I shoot, you know, for the moon. And then, but then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think that's how it works. Like, you've got to let yourself get really excited or else you're not going to have the juice you need to keep going. And I I also think that for me, I've learned that it can take a lot of time. So from the time I had a really bad experience in a dressing room to the time we opened our first store was about seven years. Wow. I just told this to a young woman I mentor. She's so sweet. She's 15. Oh, that's amazing. And she has this big dream. And I just was, I said to her, I said, first of all, get a notebook and, you know, just write all your ideas down, but don't worry so much about 
Like it doesn't have to happen right away. Mm, Like you can have these dreams. No one said you have to go do them tomorrow, but don't let that stop you from dreaming. So just write them down, get them in that notebook and give yourself because she's like, I have high school. I have, I'm like, yeah, you have school. It's a pandemic. Like, there's a lot going on. But don't not dream because you don't think you can make it happen tomorrow. You know, so that's good. Give, and I think my story is that because it was a dream I held on to for seven years mm. before we actually started. I love that. I think that is such a good reminder. And for any of you who are in a season of life where you're like, it's been too long, like that was forever ago, or like, if I haven't made it happen yet, you know, it's too late. I think remembering that and hearing your story is really inspiring. I just remember those days of having this dream and writing the dreams down. I took so many little steps toward the dream Mm. that were not this like, like everybody thinks like, oh, when did you open the store? I'm like, do you understand? Like the first thing I did was like, on a Saturday, just go look at other stores and comp shop yeah. other stores and study fashion. Like there were all these little things, steps along the way that happened before that big opening the door, you know? So, yep. and that work has to get done. So I think we do a disservice when we talk about the big thing, like, oh, the time you open the door of your store. I'm like, there were so many small steps along the way that were courageous, that felt courageous at the time. Totally. That we don't talk about. Yeah. And that probably felt really big and courageous for you. But if someone looked at you and was like, what did you do on that Saturday? Would probably not be very impressive. Right. Like (laughs) a thousand steps that don't make anybody else go, whoa, she's making progress. Whoa, that's super brave and bold. You know, it's just like, no, no one's like, oh my gosh, you spent three hours on a Saturday, like going around to other stores. Yeah. No one's going to give you a like Nobel Peace Prize for that, right? (laughs) Right. But it's like all of these thousands and thousands of tiny steps that you have to know in your heart are like, this is the brave next step. Right. It's not going to look like anything to anybody. And then it's so interesting how a thousand tiny little steps. Then they lead you to the day that the stores go open. And then everyone around you is like, wow, that was really impressive. And you're like, no, actually, what was impressive is that I did a thousand unimpressive things before that moment. Do you know what's one that's really fun? I think a lot about all the time. One of the things for me in that time of life, I've always loved musical theater. Mm. So I've always been very inspired by Broadway. And I had not because I had kids. I was, you know, we didn't have money to go to Broadway theater. And my husband, it wasn't a priority for him, but it was a priority for me. So I remember during that time, after I turned the TV off, I was like, Lion King was in town. Yes. We were living in San Francisco at the time. And I remember thinking, I want to go to Lion King. And Mike was like, and we didn't, honestly, we did not have the finances to be able to go to Lion King with the whole family at that point. Yeah. And I remember Mike was like, I don't really want to go. And he's like, go by yourself. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can afford it, you know, and I have to go in the city and take the BART. And at that time, that was so epic for me, right? Mm. So I decided I'm going to do it. So I actually bought a ticket half price on Craigslist. I met this guy at like, I met this guy like the day of, like in a parking lot, like, and he was like, here's my ticket, you know, and like half off. And I remember at the time it felt so bold and it felt like I went by myself, which now I go everywhere by myself. But at that time that was very like felt intimidating. And it was like the Lion King. I'm like, who is this 
mom going to the Lion King by her. It was all weird, you know, <laughs> but I did it anyway. And it's so interesting because music inspires me. And mm-hmm. Heather Hadley is a lead voice in the Lion King. And she was singing that night. And I just was so inspired by her voice. And it just moved me so much that it made me think like, oh, you could do big things. Like it just inspired me. So it was part of like the journey I call of giving me courage of like, Mm. not only can I like get out and be independent and do some things that are out of my comfort zone and chase passions that I have that maybe my husband doesn't have or, you know, and get creative about how I can get those passions. Yeah. But it it inspired me and gave me so much courage to kind of bring me to that next level, which was Mm. like, I kind of believe in myself. Like my dreams are important. So that was a very epic experience for me. But coincidentally, guess who is in our January catalog who's (gasps) being featured? Heather Hadley. Yes. That voice. That is going to be we just photographed her in our home and not in her home. And I've connected with her and have told her how her voice has just inspired me in that moment. And we became friends and she is now going to. So that's like wow. a really cool moment I love for that. me, like a full circle moment. Totally. So again, a, a very small example of something that is not like to so some people might hear that and be like, you went to the liking by yourself. Totally. And I'm like, Actually. That was epic for me, you yes, know? Yes, I love that. And giving yourself the permission to celebrate, it doesn't have to look big or courageous or impressive to other people. Like, if it pushes you out of your yeah. comfort zone, it is worth I it. love that message that you get, yeah. And you don't know how on the other side what that small bit of courage is going to do to how you think about the next step that you're going to take and the next step and the next step. And I just, I love that. And to not, you know, like that you look back on that and you're like, you can hold both. Like one, kind of laugh and be like, oh, I would do that so easily today. That's not hard for me at all. But then to hold on to that memory of like, but it was a big deal back then. And it might not have been a big deal to anybody else. Right. But it mattered to me. Right. Right. That's really fun. I love that. Okay. This is so good, and I'm diving so deep into so many moments of your story. So basically, fast forward, you know this. This is more for our listeners. You open the store now. You've got well over 100 locations at this point. Yeah? Yes, 100. Okay, so you've got this like amazing retail chain. You guys are changing the game for how women think about fashion, for the experience in the dressing room, for how retail can not be a force for shaming women and making them feel like they have to buy this to look good, but instead just celebrating who they already are. You run this awesome company with your husband, who, by the way, my husband and I got the chance to hang out with Megan and her husband, Mike, and it was, we still talk about it. It was (laughs) so fun. They're just, they're brilliant leaders. They're so generous. You've got these two beautiful kids. You've got this awesome family. So that's pretty rad. Let's talk about a moment between, okay, I got off the couch and I started dreaming. I built this amazing retail empire. I'm feeling like I'm totally in my sweet spot and I'm living into my purpose and, you know, the reason that I was created. And let's talk about somewhere in the middle about a pluck up, about yeah. a moment in the story that just felt like, whoa, <laughs> like didn't see that coming or like, oh, if I would have known 
you know, what I know now, like I, that was a mistake. It was a wrong turn. And can you take us to a moment that felt particularly challenging or hard where you wondered, yeah. like, am I going to make it out of this one? I mean, there are a lot of pluck ups. <laughs> <laughs> like, which one do I share? Yeah. Um, for me, it was in the middle of this journey when I was transitioning from being a leader in the stores because for many, many years, I was in the stores every day working with customers. And then I transitioned to becoming more of a leader of a company. And my pluck up would be, I thought I had to be something that I wasn't because I had this title CEO. Hmm. And for me, that title represented something. Mm-hmm. And that thing that it represented was not what I was. Mm. And so... I struggled for a long time trying to reconcile that like, okay, do I try to be like a CEO, (laughs) which I like what I think a CEO is like in my mind, what I had seen growing up or what in my head, what I had envisioned a CEO to be was like, I was trying to maybe act like that or be like that Mm. instead of being myself. Yeah. (laughs) What was that for you? Like, what was your picture of like, if I was legit and I was a legit CEO, this is what it would look like. Super like tough, (laughs) (laughs) like, like together and like powerful and knows everything. And I thought for sure, like super gifted in finances. And (laughs) Um, so you know, just, I think I saw really masculine Mm. traits, not saying finance, my daughter's a finance major and I'm not saying women can't be finance majors, but I just, my whole life, I thought CEO, I saw a lot of men. So it was just more like, that was what was modeled, not vulnerable, soft, um, leader. And I think I tried to be that and realized that's not who I am. And it's not what's made me successful. Like, that's the other thing is, I know what has made me successful as a leader. So I think my pluck up is trying to be something mm. that I'm not because I think this is what a certain title should look like. What did that transition look like for you to say, you know what, I get to define what a CEO of my own company looks like and like step into that? Yeah. So I think, you know, there was this tension for a while where it just did not feel good. I was trying to be something I wasn't, which never works. Right. Yeah. I remember I started um, because I was experiencing some anxiety about it. I was like, oh, my gosh, now I'm this is real now. Like I'm leading this company. And I just remember I was reading a lot of Brene Brown at the time, Mm. The Gifts of Imperfection. And I just remember trying to channel a lot of her lessons, which were, you know, all you have to do is show up and be yourself. Like, show up, care. Obviously, I cared about the company and the work. But I think it was like a lot of self-talk of, Megan, today, when you walk in that door, you don't have to be anybody but yourself. Yeah. And sort of asking myself and daring to believe that is that enough to be a leader? Like, is myself enough to like help lead this company? We all know that. I mean, now more than ever, we all know that anybody that's leading a company knows that is about us. It's not about um, one person. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But also, yeah, just knowing that like I can hold this title and still be myself. And that will work. Yeah. Like just 
daring to believe that. Um, yeah. And really, good. I, I, I channeled, I remember one day I was at such a low point that I wrote down all the things I had done for the previous eight years that had made me successful. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was like, okay, what did you do that made you successful? I'm like, you know what I used to do? I used to write thank you notes to every customer because I've always loved writing. I've always loved notes. I love note cards. I love pens. I love it all. So I, a big part of my success story is simply because I enjoyed writing very personal notes to my customers. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking that really made you successful. Why don't you keep doing that? Why don't you start doing it with the people at the office? And so I started like, I remember was like, okay, that's all right. You know, it might look like she has a lot of time on her hands. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it every day. I would write, no, you know, do what I loved. And I was like about two months later, I was like, wow, I've learned a lot about our employees. People are popping mm. in my office. They're talking to me. They're looking me in the eyes saying that was so sweet. They're being opening their hearts to me. And so it was just amazing how like that even did so much more than even just making our employees feel seen and heard, but it helped my relationship with them and what I could learn from them and what they felt they trusted talking to me about. So that came from like that one small like reflection on what have I done in the past that's made me successful and how can I shift that now, maybe in this new role that I'm in, you know? That is so good. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. I have a question that is admittedly really selfish. Yes. How do you maintain the balance when you think about kind of learning this truth of like, no, you just get to be you and like your gifts and the things that are unique about you and the things that you bring to this role are actually going to be assets and strengths, even if they don't, you know, meet the definition. And so having to some degree, having this posture of like, I am who I am and I don't have to change and bend to meet this expectation. But also knowing that as leaders, like so much of our life and our world and our growth trajectory has to do with growth and has to do with like acknowledging the parts of us that do need to grow. And that's a good question. Learning from other mm -hmm. people and listening to people when they're like, oh, when they're giving you feedback that might be really difficult to hear. How do you balance a strong sense of self with a spirit of curiosity and a willingness to change and grow? And how do you tell the difference between when each one is needed? Yeah, I would say there's two phases. Um, I think the building of every phase, because we opened, we didn't have any money to hire anybody else. You know, we were young and we didn't have the resources. And I had to figure out how to do a ton of things that I was uncomfortable with. And for eight years, I feel like I did that. And I'm so, I would say I grew more than ever in those eight years. Like I was like, I had yeah. to figure out how to be a buyer. I had to do spreadsheets. I had to do schedules. Like I had to do all these things that were out of my skill set and out of my comfort zone. I had to lead teams and learn how to like have hard conversations. You know, I had a really great period of time where I feel very grateful for those opportunities. And really, yeah. I feel confident that I can do anything that I need to do. Like I can learn anything because I did, right? Yeah. I would say as we're scaling ever, Eve, as you scale and the business gets bigger, you are able to hire 
people that specialize and people that have skill sets you do not have. I mean, I have an executive team right now that I don't even know what they're talking about half the time. <laughs> and I, the good news is, is like, I never need to know now. Like, you know, and yeah. maybe they're frustrated with me. I don't know. But they're, I, I think you, it's just, you kind of transition in your leadership. And I, I guess I'm in a phase right now where they are leading and I'm behind them. But I don't know how to explain that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I still think we all need to receive feedback and grow and get better. But the phase that I'm at in my leadership is it's really important to let the experts come in and take over. Like, that's just where I'm at with the size of our company. Um, Even my husband is very much, you know, in his world, we've both developed our team that could run this company without us. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. I think oftentimes a trap that leaders can fall into is that sense of like, I want to be in the middle and I want to be needed and I want to be the linchpin. Yeah. And we obviously know how that goes. But you don't get there until you, I think, to grow in your job, to grow in a role, to grow. And that I'm not saying I'm done growing. Like I can probably revisit now some of those essential things. Like, mm. for example, like right now, a lot of the fashion piece hasn't been... Mm as important. But now I'm finding that I really like, I'm like, I really love the fashion. I don't talk about the fact. So I'm kind of like looking at the fashion piece again and saying now at the phase I'm at, what do I do with fashion? Like, what does that look for me right now? But what I'm, what I communicate is I think that to grow in a role, to grow a company, you do have to have a lot, a lot of years where you are going outside your comfort zone. You're doing things you never thought you could do. You're learning things you never thought you could pull off. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just think you have to have the willingness, the courage, and the open heart to do that, or you will never get to that place where you have the freedom to kind of be like, you know what, I'm not really good at that, and I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, so good. I think that's so wise. Well, Megan, thank you so much. What a treat and I an love honor. Talking to you. Yeah, thank you thank for you. sharing the behind the scenes, and thank you for being a leader who's just so generous and has so much integrity and someone I definitely look up to in this industry. And I'm so grateful that now our Plucking Up community gets to know you too. Thank you, Liz. I love that so much. I was actually just with a group of Seiko fellows. These are the entrepreneurs who sell the products that we make here at Seiko. And I was telling them a story about Megan. I was telling them about her kind of story about thresholds and about how, you know, at one point in her journey, going to the theater by herself was really scary. And then she did it. And then it wasn't scary anymore. And then it was like, okay, what's the next thing? And I just love that. I love it. And I hope that you take a little bit of time to think back on your own journey of just like honoring and celebrating the growth that you've had and remembering where we've come. 
I'm so grateful for Megan, and I hope that you enjoyed her episode as much as I did. If you did, please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For updates and announcements about the show, you can follow me on Instagram at Liz Bohannon or at Sincerely Human or human underscore media on Twitter. You can email me, you guys, at Liz at LizBohannon.co. All right, you guys, that's all. We'll catch you again in the next episode. And until then, stay plucky.